Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard it, who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in, in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of all people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Here ends the New Testament reading. As we stand, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the purpose of Christmas. And we pray that you'd help us all to understand that better this morning from your word. Father, open our eyes and our ears and help us to receive it in our hearts. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Do have a seat. And uh, turn back to uh, that uh, chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, on page 1001 in the church Bibles. What's the purpose of Christmas? Well, according to one survey, some are saying this, presents, family time, 
holidays, making and spending money, a time for children, and baby Jesus in that particular order. The purpose of Christmas for some is to have what you might call a winter festivals, as uh, many councils now seem to call it. They've done away with Jesus, and the main characters are now Jack Frost, Santa, <coughs> Doctor Who, John Lewis, and the Strictly Winner. So eat, drink, dance even, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But that's a pagan winter festival, which at best can offer us an imaginary savior of the world, such as Doctor Who, or retail therapy, at least until you realize how much you've spent. Yet there's evidence that people want more than that. Brexit and the US election show that others are fed up with at least some political correctness. Christmas is about Christ, the only Savior of the world, about the wonderful miracle of God coming into the world in the person of Jesus and the great message of salvation, of liberation from our chief enemies, sin, death, and the devil. And Hebrews calls us to hold fast to the Son of God and to his message and not to drift, not to drift away from the hopeful message of Christmas and buy instead into the commercial one, which so often leads to debt and to fear. Not to forget the central character, Jesus himself, but to pay careful attention to him and to his word. Look at verse 1 which is translated better, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And if you're not yet a Christian, verse 3 gives us a very loving warning. Don't neglect Jesus. Don't neglect his offer of salvation. Because if we do, that leads to judgment. But God wants everyone to come to repentance and to faith in his Son. Christ came into the world at that very first Christmas, fully man and fully God, to rescue us, to liberate us, to bring many sons, which refers to both men and women, to glory. That's verse 10. That was God's purpose. But why? How? And what does it mean for us today? Well, those questions are now answered as Hebrews argues that God the Son, Jesus Christ, had to share our humanity to suffer and to die so that we might share in His glory. So first, let's look at Jesus, the great and perfect pioneer. That's verses 1 to 13. So why and how? Why did Jesus need to come fully man and fully God that first Christmas? What happened that we find ourselves in need of that great rescue? 
of true liberation? Well, the writer gives us a clue by the frequent mention of that great unmentionable, death. In verse 9, he speaks of Jesus suffering death and tasting death for everyone. And in verse 14, the writer emphasizes Jesus' humanity. He himself likewise took on flesh and blood so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and set us free. Put simply, the reason why things aren't as they should be is because human beings, we, have introduced a moral and a spiritual infection to the world called sin. A deliberate going it alone as rulers without God. And so as a result, placing ourselves under another influence, the devil. And death is the ultimate reminder that we can't be our own masters. That things have gone wrong and need to be put right. But how? How can this messed up world ever get back put on course so that we can become the people we were originally meant to be? How is the devil, who over the centuries has enticed men and women to carry out the gas chambers of Auschwitz and the mess that is now Syria, to be overthrown? More pertinently, how is the ultimate insult which makes a mockery of all our hopes and achievements death to be removed and reversed? Humanly, it seems impossible. But what if God has taken the initiative? Then it's not impossible. And that's exactly what he's done in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 8 and 9. You see, for a short period, God the Son was made a little lower than the angels. For he was clothed in human flesh and blood. He grew tired and weary. He was limited by time and space. He had to put up with noisy neighbors and grumbling relatives. But at the same time, he began to show what man was, is meant to be like and who he really is. Jesus made an impact in many people's lives at that time. Those oppressed by demonic powers, he set free. And those whose hearts were broken by loss and by grief, he mended by raising their loved ones from the dead. But even then, not everything was subject to Jesus, as we heard in our reading. The Romans still ruled. The devil's power still held sway. But that was to change. One Friday afternoon, when he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. With the result that he's now raised from the dead himself. With a glorious resurrected body. And exalted above the angels. At his father's right hand. Crowned with glory and honor. 
Death was the pathway to such glory for Jesus. But by the grace of God, his death is also the way to safety and freedom for us. As our great and perfect pioneer, that's verses 10 through to 13, Jesus had to meet the sinister powers of sin, death, and the devil. And it was necessary for him to take on the same nature, verse 14, as ourselves, in order to deal effectively with them. Which brings us to my second point. Jesus, the great liberator. Verses 14 to 16. Have a look at verses 14 and 15 to start with. Jesus likewise took on flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those referring to you and me as well as others, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In March 2005, Ashley Smith made headlines around the globe when she was taken hostage by an alleged killer for seven hours in her suburban Atlanta apartment. The 27-year-old widowed mother of her six-year-old girl was beginning to find her way again when someone called Brian Nichols took her hostage. Just hours earlier, he'd shot dead a judge, a court reporter, a deputy, and a federal agent, and escaped in a stolen vehicle. Ashley had paid only passing attention to coverage of all this, going on as it was uh, portrayed on the news. Now she found herself face to face with Nichols, a desperate, heavenly armed man with nothing left to lose. What a terrifying situation to be in. Now in the end, Ashley managed to escape with God's help. Miraculously, she was able to talk her way out of the hands of this courthouse killer using what she'd been reading in a Christian book that uh, I've also found helpful, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And Hebrews here brings home to us the unpleasant truth that humankind is subject to a spiritual enslavement. The kidnapper, if you like, is Satan. He exercises his hold over people by the use of fear, the fear of death. And we can't escape this ourselves. We need someone to set us free. Well, the liberator has come, and he is Jesus Christ, and how he liberates. If we sin, we pay the penalty, and the penalty is death. But what if there was someone else? who could pay the penalty instead on our behalf. Of course, he would have to be one of us, since it's as human beings that we sin, and it's as human beings that we pay the price. But he would also have to be the perfect human being, who had no sins of his own to pay for. More than that, he would have to be someone who's more than a human being, a sort of representative 
an infinite being who could pay for infinite sins. And there's only one I know who fits that bill, and that is the Lord Jesus. Perfect God and perfect man, united in one person. The purpose of his incarnation or him coming into the world, God the Son in the person of Jesus in human form, was that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. We can only be released from Satan's power and freed to serve God by the forgiveness or cleansing made possible by Jesus' death. Jesus removes the threat of judgment and the threat of condemnation for those who trust in him and gives the assurance of the, of the life of the world to come. And in this sense too, we're not inferior to angels, verse 16. It is Abraham's descendants he helps, not angels. Angels can't be redeemed, but we can. So for those who trust in him and follow him, the devil loses his grip. What was once a dungeon, death is now transformed into a doorway, a doorway into glory. Verse 15 says that before Christ comes into our lives, our greatest fear is that of death. But a Christian has no need to fear death. Martin Luther, a well-known Christian leader from the 16th century, wrote on this verse these words. He who fears death or is unwilling to die is not a Christian to a sufficient degree. For those who fear death still lack faith in the resurrection since they love this life more than they love the life that is to come. On this day, a number of years ago, I took the funeral of Elsie, who uh, lived very near to St. Joseph's, in fact, and who was the longest standing member at that point of Jesmond Parish Church, our partner church. She was baptized there in 1918, was married there in 1942. She put her trust in the Lord Jesus. And Elsie did not fear death. She knew that God was with her. She knew that God was with her when she died. In fact, doing what she loved most, enjoying God's creation, traveling. And she knew that the cruise that she'd just gone on to South America may well be her last. And in fact, she died on that cruise. But she did not fear death. She trusted in the Lord Jesus. On Christmas Day, the year after Elsie died, I'll never forget going to visit someone else. Someone called Alice in hospital. Alice had cancer and was dying. But when I got there, and that year it was very snowy in Newcastle, and I walked into the room where she was, uh, where she was 
and she was absolutely beaming. And I was taken by surprise by that. And she said to me, Jonathan, I'm not scared of dying. You know, I know Jesus now. I know I'm going to be with him. Alice had put her trust in Christ. She'd only just started coming to church. But she'd gone on a course called Christianity Explored. Some of you know that course. And she put her trust in Jesus, the Son of God. And 1 John chapter 4 in the Bible tells us that perfect love drives out all fear. And that's what Alice had discovered in the Lord Jesus. But some of you might be thinking, well, yes, but if Jesus has defeated the devil, why is the devil still active? Why am I still being tempted? Why does the devil want me to drag me away from Jesus? Well, a postman who then uh, became a well-known writer put it this way. Once I opened a gate, only to find myself comforted, confronted by the largest and most vicious dog I had ever seen. It barked furiously, and then it leapt towards me. I stood there helpless and terrified, until to my immense relief I saw that this massive, angry dog was chained to a huge stake set in concrete. The chain was a long one, and the dog had considerable freedom, but not enough to reach me. I saw I could easily deliver the letter, and did so. Whenever I had to visit that house, I took little notice of the aggressive dog, instead keeping my eye on the strong stake. At the cross, the enemy of souls, the devil, was made impotent, limited, and chained down. And when he's bitterness, it's usually because we've been far too near. All of which brings us finally to my final point. Jesus, the great sympathizer. Verses 17 to 18. Look at those verses. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. In the Old Testament, the high priest had to be blood kin, blood relative to the people he represented. He offered animal sacrifices on their behalf. What's more, the high priest knew what it was like to be weak and tempted. And so when he went into the temple to do his duty, he wasn't supposed to do so in some morally superior way. But rather he was to be tender-hearted towards God's people. Because he, being one of them, understood them so well. But now we have Jesus as our high priest. 
He was both priest and victim on the cross. And now we can come to him in prayer when we're in need. With the confidence that he knows what we're going through. Because he's been through the mill here himself. I don't know about you, but I need a God like that. Someone who's near and compassionate. Someone who understands. Someone who's there for me. Well, I do have that someone. And he proves himself faithful over and over again. Again, only because he shared our nature, experienced human frailty, and suffered when he was tempted. Is he able to provide the appropriate help to those who are being tempted, to those who are suffering, as well as helping those who are afraid of the future? He also helps us by showing great mercy. If death is fear of the future, then guilt is fear of the past. And through his great salvation, Jesus has made propitiation, that word that I can't even say, or to put it another way, has appeased God's wrath, has appeased God's anger for the sins of the people. So if we're trusting in Christ, in his death, then our sin has been dealt with. And please understand this. It has been dealt with past, present, and future. That's the good news. I've also known his faithfulness as I've struggled with temptation. And I hope you have too. He's faithful as well as a merciful high priest. He also shows us how to react to suffering. And he doesn't just show us and teach us, but he also supports us and strengthens us when we're right in the midst of it. Around this time, a few years ago, a baby was born to a couple at Jasmine Parish Church our partner church. It was discovered within hours that he had a major heart problem and had to be rushed to the freeman. After much prayer and medical skill, he was able to have a heart transplant. His parents feared he might die. But through it all, they were able to turn to Christ and know his help, his strength, his faithfulness and his care. They personally knew and still know Jesus, the great pioneer, the great liberator, and the great sympathizer. The question this morning is, do you? If you don't yet, why not go along to that taster session for Life Explored? starting on the 18th of January. And if you do know Jesus, are you turning to him for help? Or are you just relying 
on yourself. Well, let's remember the purpose of Christmas. And let's pray together. Just a moment of quiet as we respond to God's word ourselves. Lord God, we thank you for the purpose of Christmas. We thank you for the great love that you had for us in sending the Lord Jesus to live, to die, to die in our place so that we might be forgiven through faith in him. Help all of us here this morning to be trusting in Him as our Savior and our Lord. And that we might know Him as that great pioneer, as that great liberator, and that great sympathizer who is able to understand us and draw near to us and help us in our time of need. Father, thank you, and help us to respond this morning in a way which brings glory to your name. For Jesus' sake, amen.